You're listening to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M, where she breaks down the nitty gritty basics of nursing concepts. Hello, and welcome to the Nitty Gritty Nursing Podcast with Nurse M. Today, I'm going to talk about inflammatory bowel disease, uh, IBD, which is not to be confused with IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, two very different bowel problems. But in IBD, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, the two big things that I'm going to try to break down and provide the nitty gritty basics on are going to be Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And when we think about Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, because they are lumped into this category of inflammatory bowel disease, the name speaks for itself. It's basically uh, where these diseases that inflame the lining of the gastrointestinal tract and disrupt your body's ability to digest food, absorb nutrition, and eliminate waste in a really healthy manner. And these are lifelong disease processes that people can experience. Um, they often have acute or flare-ups or acute periods of active symptoms. And at other times, their symptoms are gone or in, in remission. The difficulty with both Crohn's and ulcerative colitis is that we don't know what causes it. <laughs> like I even went and looked at the Crohn's and colitis website. Um, and still, it's the really the root cause of why people get this remains unknown. And as a result, there's not really a very good cure for the disease. There is some stipulation that maybe genetics or the environment or microbiome play a part into this. But ultimately, we don't really know. What we do know is that people that get Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, it causes inflammation and in ulcerative colitis, ulcer formation. Again, they might have flare-ups followed by remission where they don't have any signs or symptoms and various types of symptoms will occur based on where the inflammation is occurring. Uh, both categories, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, do place people at an increased risk for colon cancer. And that's primarily because there's an inflammatory process that is happening all the time in inside these individuals' systems. So the first one that I'm going to start off with talking about is Crohn's disease. And Crohn's disease, I have this little mantra that I like to say, Crohn's ends up with choppy cobblestones, and it kind of rhymes and goes together. And really the reason why I say that is because Crohn's affects the entire GI tract from mouth to anus, both the large and the small intestine, and it uh, will occur, the inflammatory kind of component of the Crohn's occurs um, in scattered patches throughout the digestive tract. Crohn's disease, fun fact, was uh, named after a doctor who first described it in 1932. And because it occurs anywhere in the GI tract, that's why I call it choppy, choppy cobblestones, because as it starts to um, inflame, these uh, the patches that have the inflammatory process going on, when it is viewed like with a colonoscopy, the inner lining of the intestinal tract looks like a cobblestone pathway. And it affects all layers of the bowel, all the way to the serosa. The reason why this is important is because when you get the choppy cobblestones of Crohn's, we will start to see a lot of symptoms that occur in terms of like fistula and abscess formation, because as the inner lining of the intestinal tract inflames and you get the cobblestones, you know, bacteria can get trapped in between the inflammatory process and then kind of fester there. And it can cause a lot of problems. Now for people with 
Crohn's disease is not really a cure. Um, sometimes if it gets too bad, they can do bowel resections. And then a lot of it is predominantly medication and diet driven. Again, think of those cobblestones as they raise and they, they sort of um, start to touch each other at the top, but then there's this air gap in the middle. It can, it can form a pocket of infection uh, within that intestinal wall and an abscess can occur. Abscesses can occur. Fistulas can also occur and can actually create an intestinal wall like channel or passage that can lead to sepsis, for example. And this intestinal wall or passage can be intestine to intestine. So if someone has Crohn's disease and they have a flare-up with that choppy cobblestones and an abscess forms, there can be a track that goes from intestine to intestine, intestine to organ, or even potentially intestine to the skin surface. And someone can get a hole on like that side of their stomach that is a track into their intestinal route where this fistula has formed. Now, because it inflames and creates these choppy cobblestones, the inflamed tissue does not reliably and appropriately work correctly. So they are often malnourished because the small intestines can become inflamed. And if you think about Crohn's, it can happen anywhere along the GI tract from mouth to anus. And if it's happening in the small intestine and we associate the small intestine with the absorption of nutrients predominantly, yes, it also absorbs water, but the large intestine more specifically responsible for absorption of water versus nutrients, we can see malnourishment because we know that this inflammatory process can happen in the small intestines. It's seen, this malnourishment also is seen more with Crohn's than ulcerative colitis. And you'll understand why here in a moment when I talk a little bit about ulcerative colitis. Two other big things that can happen with Crohn's disease. Fissure tears can occur primarily in the anal area where the um, tissue gets so inflamed that when someone does have a bowel movement, they are likely to tear that tissue just because it's so weak or they can also get strictures and strictures with the inflammatory process that occurs. And then as it starts to heal, strictures can occur, which can lead to obstructions. And this is actually a really common complication with the major narrowing of that intestinal wall due to the chronic inflammation that leads to the scarring, which leads to a narrowing channel, which can then cause an obstruction, which ultimately ends up causing many more problems down the road. So, Because we know that Crohn's disease is choppy cobblestones and it's an inflammatory disease that can occur anywhere in the GI tract, what do these people look like when they have a Crohn's flare-up? Or if they have Crohn's and they've not yet been diagnosed, what are they going to look like? So here's your P of the pie of the presentation. These patients are likely to have some sort of fever or they'll have cramp-like and colicky pain after meals. They are likely to have diarrhea or, you know, some semi-solid bowel movements, which may contain mucus and pus. And this is key to Crohn's because of the choppy cobblestones. They can also have abdominal distension. Again, if you think that the, the GI tract is inflaming, it's going to become very swollen. They can have anorexia, meaning they're not eating a whole lot, nausea and vomiting. They might have weight loss. Uh, dehydration and electrolyte imbalances are also uh, rather common with people who are suffering from Crohn's disease. And then they can also have malnutrition. And it's ma- it's likely to be worse than seen in ulcerative colitis uh, because it can affect the small in- the small intestine tract, not just the large intestine tract. They can also just have abdominal pain uh, depending on where the inflammatory process is occurring. So what are we going to do? What are our interventions as nurses when we are caring for someone who has Crohn's disease? Well, 
specifically to the crones, which are the choppy cobblestones. The care is similar to that for someone with ulcerative colitis. But in this case, um, surgery may be necessary, but is avoided for as long as possible because recurrence of the disease process in the same region is likely to occur. So our interventions, like the goals, is that really we want to help the patient understand that there's no cure, um, understand what a good diet might look like for them, and then medications that they should be taking. If they end up with surgery, there's um, a few different options that they can have. Because we know that with chronic inflammation, there's a high likelihood of stricture formation, which can then lead to bowel obstructions. They might have something called a strictureplasty, um, which is where they go in and they remove the stricture and then sew that in part of the intestines back up. Or they might just have a bowel resection, whether that's a partial or total removal of some segment. And if that's the case, they are then also likely to end up with some sort of ileostomy. We also want to encourage these people, if they are smokers, to stop with smoking cessation primarily because smoking exacerbates the inflammatory process. So if we, if they're a smoker and they've got Crohn's, one of those things that we can help them do is try to stop doing that. We are also going to want to take daily weights. Again, we, we know that their absorption is not the greatest, both nutritionally and potentially from a fluid standpoint. So we want to monitor their daily weights and we want to monitor their intake and output. In their gastrointestinal assessment that we would be doing as nurses, we want to identify the frequency of their bowel movements and even ask them, what, are the, what does it look like? Um, what does their belly sound like? Are they hyper or hypoactive or normal or not at all? And then we really want to evaluate whether what we've done has worked. So that's going to look like did the flare-up that they have improve, for example, or is it still ongoing? Some of the medications that we can give are going to be based on the severity of the Crohn's that is being experienced. And because we know that this is an inflammatory disorder of the inner lining of all of it, um, we can give anti-inflammatories like aminosalicylates for really mild cases. And the way that that particular drug works is it prevents flare-ups and helps to maintain these individuals in a remissive state. If they are on aminosalicylates and it is not working, and they're still having Crohn's flare-ups, then we would consider adding in like a corticosteroid, like prednisone, um, with the key being that it's going to help decrease the inf inflammation that they are experiencing in their GI tract. However, the caveat is that we do not want patients on corticosteroids for long periods of time for many reasons, um, because it can increase the risk of infection, uh, it can increase osteoporosis, thinning of the skin, increased blood sugars, etc. So we will put them on corticosteroids if the anti-inflammatories are not working um, well enough for them, just for short-term, not long-term use. And then we can also put them on immunosuppressors and or modulators. And we use immunosuppressors and or modulators when other medications don't work or when these patients need to be off of steroids. Um, there's two sorts of medications that we can give, which are immunosuppressors and or modulators. A suppressor would be like azathioprine or Imeron, which suppresses the immune system. And the reason why we would do this is because we don't really know what the root cause of the development of Crohn's or ulcerative colitis is, we can give them an immune suppressor to sort of dampen that down so that they don't have a flare-up. Um, the caveat to this is if we're giving them a medication to suppress their immune system, 
as a nurse, we need to be aware that these patients are now at increased risk for the development of infections. And the other big education component that we would need to give them is that they are not to get any sort of live vaccines at all. If we're not doing the immune suppressors, we can do a biologic type like Remicade or Humira, and those block a protein that play a role in the inflammatory process. Again, the same rules apply. No live vaccines with this. The other medication that they might be on are going to be antibiotics, antidiuretals, or analgesics. And the reason why we put those on them is, are for symptom control. We don't want to give them any sort of NSAIDs um, because we don't want that, that additional issue and complication that goes with non-steroidal anti-inflammatories because we would we, the aminosalicylates that they would be on are going to be the better option. All this to say that specifically for Crohn's disease, how are we going to educate this person? It really, a lot of it falls on appropriate medication regimen and diet. So we encourage these individuals to eat not a high fiber diet and to avoid dairy and spicy foods and foods that have a lot of fat in it or any sort of food that would have an allergen type of response in their system that might cause or precipitate an inflammatory response and foods that are hard, hard to digest. So we actually encourage these patients to eat a low fiber, high protein diets in Crohn's disease. Now, in comparison, ulcerative colitis, if we know that Crohn's forms with choppy cobblestones, choppy being Crohn's can form anywhere along the gastrointestinal tract from mouth to anus, ulcerative colitis. Colitis has C-O-L in its name, which is like a column. Uh, typically, ulcerative colitis affects only the large intestine and rectum, and the inflammation that develops from ulcerative colitis, or UC is how you might hear it referred to as well, that inflammation and ulcers occurs only to the inner lining of the intestinal tract versus that with Crohn's, which goes through all of the lining all the way to the serosa, putting those individuals at risk for fistulas, abscesses, etc. In ulcerative colitis, the inflammatory occurs only on the inner lining and these patients can get ulcer formations. It can affect the entire colon. So it can go all the way from the rectum up the descending colon transverse and ascending colon. The cure for this, the cure is surgery essentially for people who have ulcerative colitis that have gone beyond what we can treat with the other medications that we give them. Again, the cause for ulcerative colitis, we don't know what causes it. It's suspected to be autoimmune in response to some sort of environmental or genetic component, but we just honestly don't know. Welcome to Fuller Butts, a behind-the-scenes plastic surgery podcast. Yes, you heard that right. Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Doctors Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. So ulcerative colitis commonly begins in the rectum and spreads upwards towards the colon 
transverse ascending colon. And it the colon basically becomes super edematous and may develop bleeding lesions and ulcers. And those ulcers can then lead to a potential perforation. Scar tissue that also develops and causes a loss of that elasticity and that ability for the colon to be able to absorb nutrients, water, etc. And as a result of that, the acute ulcerative colitis can result from like vascular congestion, hemorrhage, edema, and ulceration of the bowel mucosa. Now, a flare-up is just a little bit of an inflammation in the large intestine. And as that inflammation occurs, it is actually, essentially, it's just killing the cells of the lining of that intestine. And it forms these tiny little ulcers, which then bleed and can also release pus and mucus. These patients often with ulcerative colitis have fever, uh, diarrhea, they'll have blood with... um, They'll have diarrhea and in their diarrhea, they can have blood and pus and mucus in it. And as a result of the bleeding that is occurring from the ulcerations that are on the inner lining of the intestinal wall, they can then have anemia or rectal bleeding. And because the colon can't do its job by absorbing water and minerals, lo and behold, these patients are also at risk for dehydration, fluid and electrolyte imbalances. They're likely to have a decreased appetite and to have weight loss because they're not going to be appropriately absorbing the nutrients and the water necessary in order to maintain their weight their weight, for example. So the gastric intestinal contents enter from the small intestine, and that's basically liquidy, right? That goes from your stomach, gets broken down, drops into the small intestine into this like food slurry where we absorb nutrients, and then it gets dropped into the large intestine where it then goes through. We absorb a lot of the water there, which is what forms the stool. But what happens in ulcerative colitis, especially if it's a large segment of the colon that has been affected is when that water slurry of food enters the large intestine, it mixes with the blood and the pus and the mucus from the ulcerations that have occurred. So inflammation causes the colon to want to empty frequently. So this leads to the urgent bowel movements that some patients have experienced who have ulcerative colitis. Think back to that commercial, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go right now. People with ulcerative colitis have those urgent bowel movements. And because there's ulcerations that are forming on that inner lining of the intestinal wall, they're going, that will start to bleed. So they are also going to be anemic with low red blood cells. They will have weight loss because the inflammatory process increases the amount of bowel movements going through, which means less time for them to absorb nutrients and water. They're likely, as a result, to have cramps in their abdomen because of this rapid progression of the peristalsis that's occurring. Electrolyte imbalances are going to occur. They're going to have an elevated temperature because they have ulcerations that are forming on the inside of their colon with bacteria flying past it, infecting it. So they're going to be a febrile. They're going to be febrile. They might have rectal bleeding. These individuals with ulcerative colitis, when it is significant and bad enough, will have severe diarrhea with blood, pus, and mucus, right? Contrary to the, the other version of Crohn's, which is where they have the choppy cobblestones, we see a lot of malnutrition with this, with ulcerative colitis, right? We're going to have blood, pus, and mucus in their stool. With Crohn's, we're going to get abscesses and fistulas that form because it goes through all the layers of the intestine. Now, ulcerative colitis complications. So they're likely to have flare-ups and then periods of remission. 
when this happens with the healing and inflammation cycle, the lining of the intestine can't handle this really well, and it will develop what we call pseudopolyps, scar tissue, and will begin to narrow. With severe cases, the large intestine will actually lose its pouch form or the loss of the hostra, which is the, um, you know, the bubble, <laughs> bubbling. I don't even know how to describe it. Google it. Loss of hostra. It's the way that the colon looks like on an x-ray with the waves of, you know, the exterior colon features. And what happens is with severe cases, right, it loses that form and it'll actually start to look like a smooth organ. Because of this, right, it cannot churn the food properly and it will lead to something frequently called lead pipe sign. And lead pipe sign is where the colon becomes enlarged and smooth and it loses that classic colon shape to it. This can lead to ruptures. So a small horn or a small hole can form uh, from repeated ulcerations. And when a small hole forms in the intestine and from those repeated ulcerations, it leads to leaks into the abdomen. So bacteria, essentially fecal matter, can then escape from the large intestine into the peritoneum, causing peritonitis, which can lead to septic shock and then death. The other big complication is that they can develop this thing called toxic megacolon, right, which is an overwhelming inflammation and it just dilates the colon completely. Because it dilates that colon, it then becomes paralyzed and it can't work, which will then also lead to rupture. So ulcerative colitis complications. They're going to have flare-ups and periods of remission. And this healing inflammation cycle, they can't handle it. And so in really bad cases, the colon can lose its beautiful, normal colon-looking design, that loss of the hostra, and it'll start to look like a lead pipe, which can lead to small ruptures in the colon from repeated ulcerations, Bacteria leaks into the belly, we get peritonitis, and sometimes they'll get toxic megacolon, right? Where this overwhelming inflammation dilates the colon and then it, it doesn't work correctly. So how do we diagnose this? <laughs> we diagnose ulcerative colitis with a colonoscopy or even a barium enema. And the colonoscopy basically goes in and we look exactly on the inside of the intestine to see what's happening. The barium enema uses an x-ray to assess the colon Treatment for people with really bad ulcerative colitis is going to be surgery in severe, severe cases. Um, and then we will also do medications and diet very similarly to Crohn's disease because these are both inflammatory bowel disorders. Again, it's the exact same trajectory because it's an inflammatory disorder. We start with amino salicylates, which help to decrease the inflammation. If those don't work, then we will move forward onto corticosteroids or we just add it to the amino salicylates that they've been taking. Again, corticosteroids not designed for long-term use. So if that doesn't work, then they will get moved forward onto immunosuppressors and modulators when the other medications aren't working, like Imuran or Humira, right? And then we will give them antibiotics, antidiarrheals, analgesics to treat them symptomatically for the things that they do have occurring that um, are quite uncomfortable. From a nursing management perspective with ulcerative colitis, we need to be monitoring their vital signs, their bowel movements, and their sounds. Really, that focused GI assessment is key because we are looking and watching and trying to prevent peritonitis from occurring and toxic megacolon, right? These patients are likely to have that abdominal pain, the bloating, the fever, tachycardia, tachypnea, hyperactive bowel sounds because the inflamed bowel is just sending 
nutrients and contents just straight through it. So they have their hyperactive bowel tones. We will do this thing called bowel rest with these patients where we will put them on NPO status and then we are just hydrating them with IV fluids um, and to give their bowel a chance to not be inflamed anymore. And then we do we edu- diet education. This is key. So no high fiber foods. They don't need it. It's already flying through their intestinal system. Nothing that's really hard to digest like nuts or popcorn. Again, we try to have them avoid dairy, spicy, or high fat foods. And we encourage them to eat low fiber, high protein diets and to stay hydrated. Again, for both of these disease processes, because it's an inflammatory bowel disorder, the treatments are identical because we are know we know that the inflammation is happening within the gastrointestinal tract. The differences come with where it's occurring. So ulcerative colitis is in like a column, starts at the rectum and it'll work its way up the large intestine and it, it stays in the large intestine in a solid column-based form versus Crohn's, which end up with choppy cobblestones. So these are those are just some of the unique differences between Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. That's all I've got for those two. (laughs) Hope it was worthwhile. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and make sure you like this podcast in the platform by which you're listening. Feel free to reach out via email. It's listed in the podcast description if you have a topic you would like covered. Otherwise, go forth and keep on learning.